Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. Hope and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our second reading this morning is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, Thank you to those of you who are here. Uh, Thank you to those of us who are joining us online. I know MEA weekend has some people out traveling and doing all the things. and So we're grateful to have the ability to uh, live stream and to have that function available for folks when you can't be here to still feel like you're attached to the community. Uh, community is a big thing here with us at Genesis, and so it's wonderful that we have that ability to kind of stay in touch even when we can't be here together. So thank you all for coming. My name is Dan Cook. For those of you who are new, I'm a teaching pastor here at Genesis. Uh, yeah. Uh, I still am getting used to saying that, um, but it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. So today we have this parable from Luke, and Luke likes him some parables. I think there's three actually in chapter 18 alone. And parables are very interesting ways uh, to teach things because, because of the story nature of them, we tend to sort of live on the surface a little bit, and we become really familiar with that surface meaning. And that's fine. You could look at this, this particular passage and just think it's a simple morality tale about being humble, and being humble is not a bad thing, so that's good. But we need to stop sometimes on these ones, especially the ones we think we're familiar with, and really dig in and see if there isn't something more there, because there's a lot of layers and there's a lot of nuance in this particular passage and in most of the parables. So we want to take great care with them, because when we start digging in, there's all kinds of twists and turns. Jesus loved to defy expectations. Jesus loved to take conventional wisdom and turn it upside down. And so we have to be looking for those sorts of things to really get the full, the full meaning I think in this particular passage, there are something like 15, and I may be exaggerating, what I call bear traps. 
different traps for us to fall that for us to fall in for that people that are in the passage that are being discussed fall in. And so it's useful to kind of keep an eye out for where where is that trap. Because when we're aware of it, it's a lot easier to stay out of it, right? So I want to start with an all play. For those of you who are relatively new, uh, all plays are designed to involve the voice of the chorus, so it's not just the solo all the time. And so I want to look at these two guys, and I want to just get general impressions of them. So let's start with the Pharisee. There's two verses, verses 11 and 12, that say the Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all my income. That's all we have here about this particular Pharisee. But based on that, and there are no wrong answers here, I want to ask, what is your impression of this guy? What, is, what do you think about this particular Pharisee in this story? What comes to mind? And you can just go ahead and shout out an answer. Ugg. Ugh. Ugg. <laughs> Ugh. Thank you, Cassandra. He's a rule follower. He's a rule follower. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Say again? And a hypocrite. And a hypocrite. Ooh. Interesting. This is one of those guys that's taking money from my people, then it's a little more understandable. Uh, Will says that he empathizes with him because as he's pointing at the text collector and saying, this is one of those people that take money from my people, it's a little easier to understand maybe why this Pharisee is a little bit haughty. Is that a good summary of what you said? Thank you, Will. Anything else? He's pretty ordinary. Pretty ordinary. Say more about that. Okay, regular guy, follows the rules, just sort of does his thing. Anything else? I think sad. Sad. He doesn't see that he's missing it. Sad. Thank you, Nico. Any other thoughts? Standing by himself. That's important. Thank you, Steve. Nate, you had something? He's not worrying about their stories. He's not worrying about their stories? Wondering about their stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Y'all want to come up here and finish the sermon? Because y'all pretty much got it. I think, you know, Pharisees, we're sort of conditioned with Pharisees to see them as the bad guys, right? Jesus goes after the Pharisees a lot in, in the scriptures, and it would be easy to, to jump to that conclusion that they're always the bad guy. And in the juxtaposition of this parable, it sort of sets it up a little bit that way, right? There's a Catholic theologian uh, by the name of Van Ten Wynn, who works at uh, Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. And he describes Pharisees like this. So the Pharisees in the time of Jesus were respectable religious leaders who zealously preserved God's covenant by practicing holiness as dictated by the Torah. I'll read that again. They were respectable religious leaders who zealously preserved God's covenant by practicing holiness as dictated in the Torah. But you can see the first trap sitting there, right? It's really in that word, zealous. Because it's really easy to go from zealous to go to overzealous, isn't it? And to think, oh, I'm not only my... Because the things that he does, the tithing and the fasting, were actually more than what was required you know, to be a Pharisee. So he's going over and above. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, as people have pointed out, right? That who wouldn't want a guy who's that dedicated to his faith, who's living into their faith like that as part of your church, who does more than what's expected them? Who wouldn't want that? And gives God credit. Remember... The points where he's distinguishing himself from other people, he's giving thanks to God for those things. It's not like he's accomplished those things. He's giving thanks to God. This is the kind of guy, maybe I would really kind of want this guy around. 
but he falls into the trap of thinking that that makes him better than other people. And we'll get to that in a second. But when we think of Pharisees as legalistic and judgmental and holier than thou, which are all kind of words that come to mind often when we get to the Pharisees in Scripture, we need to remember that all of us, all Christians, on our bad days, can be described as legalistic and judgmental and holier than thou. We need to remember that many Christians, too many Christians, on most of their days, can be described as legalistic and judgmental and holier than thou. This is a trap not of being a Pharisee. This is a trap not of being a Jew. This is not a trap of even being a Christian. This is a trap of being religious, of thinking that participating in the process of religion is what's going to make me okay with God, is what's going to make me better than other people. That's the trap that he falls into here. So we talked about the Pharisee. Let's talk about the tax collector for a minute. And the tax collector, we really only find one verse of a description of him in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So tell me, what are our impressions of the tax collector? Self-aware. Self-aware. Thank you, Enoch. What's the general vibe that you have when you hear tax collector? Good, bad, neutral? Also bad. Also bad. Thank you, Cassandra. Anything else jump to mind? Full of himself in a different way. Say more. He's doing the martyr syndrome stuff. Doing the martyr syndrome stuff. Interesting. Interesting. He's doing the martyr thing, is what Jonah is saying. It's a different way of focusing too much on the self. Any other impressions? I think we're also conditioned by Scripture to see tax collectors as bad guys. All right? We see all the time Jesus rescuing tax collectors from the evils of that job. But we see tax collectors as bad guys who are in a unique position of being ready to be redeemed, right? Which isn't fair because we know that there are Pharisees that follow Jesus as well. So Pharisees are just as redeemable as tax collectors, and yet it's the tax collectors that seem to get focused on a little bit. Anybody want to take a swing at why they think that is? Anyone? I'll give you my theory. And it's just a theory. But my theory is this. Tax collector as a job is something that comes about only because of empire and, and oppression, right? It is because the Roman Empire is levying such harsh and high taxes on the people of Israel that tax collectors need to exist. And Rome knew what it was doing. Rome's, they're not dummies when it comes to empire. They know what they're doing. Because if you have the locals collecting tax taxes from the locals, then they're going to be so busy hating and fighting each other that they're not going to be able to unite and throw off the empire, right? But when you're scrambling just to put bread on your family's table, when you're looking for any job that's going to be able to allow you to pay those taxes, tax collector becomes kind of appealing. Because you know you're going to get, you're the ones collecting the taxes. It's you to go get your own money, right? And then pay off your portion of the taxes and get your little piece for yourself. But it's also a job that comes with heavy temptation to skim a little bit. And many, many tax collectors fall into that trap of skimming a little bit. So I think we sort of feel sorry for the tax collector because they're sort of stuck in this spot because of the empire, because the empire pushing down on all these people. 
So they're trying to feed their families. They're doing what everybody else is doing, but at the same time, everybody hates them because they're stealing money. And it's a difficult spot to be in. So the tax collector comes in and sees himself as a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness. The trap that the Pharisee falls into is thinking that his value is, in, is found in what he does, or in this case, what he doesn't do. I don't do the things those other people do, ergo, I have more value. God, thank you for giving me that more value. Whereas the tax collector comes in and says, I'm a sinner, I'm in this trap, I'm in this weird spot that I can't get out of, and my life is horrible, but I'm just trying to take care of my family. I'm a sinner in need of grace. Oh God, please be merciful upon me. He understands that his value is found in his relationship with God and that the only way his relationship with God is going to be right is if God steps in. It's not through what he does, it's through God's action. Which brings us to this word in verse 14, justified. Many of you, perhaps most of you, perhaps all of you have heard this term justification thrown around in, in Protestant circles. Many of you know what it means. Many of you have an idea what it means. Some of you are looking at me with blank stares on your face going, please, I don't have any clue what you're talking about right now. Justification. So I went and I looked. Paul talks about it extensively in his letter to the Romans. He also talks about it in Galatians. He also talks about it in Ephesians. It's a term that's all over the New Testament. And those that hold to the doctrine of justification through faith alone will tell you it's all over the Old Testament too. If you look at Abraham or if you look at Job, if you look at any number of stories in the Old Testament or prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, it's in those too. But what does it mean? So I went to the handy-dandy baker encyclopedia of the Bible and said, give me the definition of justified. And here's what it says. Justification is the act of God in bringing sinners into new covenant relationship with God's self through the forgiveness of sins. I'll read that again. Justification is the act of God, not our act, God's act, in bringing sinners into new covenant relationship with God's self through the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word there is dedikaiomenos. Say that 10 times fast. No, I'm kidding. But it means to be found in the right. It means to be found free of any charges. So Jesus is saying that the tax collector went home being in a new covenant relationship with God, having been found to be free of any charges, any sins against him. But the Pharisee did not. And then he says, for all that who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. So yes, the Pharisee's lack of humility has cost him, but in a very specific way. Now, this is where it might sound, start to sound a little bit Calvinistic, a little bit like total depravity, a little bit like we're all horrible people and we're just lucky God doesn't want to grind us under his heel. I'm not saying that. I'm not preaching that. You will not hear that from me. Because I don't think that's the focus here. The focus isn't on how horrible we are. The focus is that the world that we live in is broken and we are broken along with it. And that instead of having to try to earn God's love, instead of having to effort to be good enough for God's grace and God's mercy, we don't have to at all. This is a relief of a burden. This is a relief of having to effort all those things and to give all that effort and to give all that time and to say, no, God offers grace, God offers mercy freely as a gift. And there isn't anything we can do to earn it, so we don't have to try to earn it. We have to accept it. And we have to accept it and let the Spirit get inside us and do the work 
of changing our hearts and changing our souls and changing the directions of our life. And that takes us from the word justification to the word sanctification. You may have heard this in like a trio, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification. We're not going to talk about glorification today. I'm only going to throw two terms at you. But sanctification is when you let this live, is, is when you let the spirit inside you, let it change you, let it direct your life, let it change the direction of your life in the direction that the justification has started. I'll put it in Genesis terms and make it a little more simple. Justification is the new beginning, is the moment of a new beginning where you say, okay, I can't do this on my own. God, please be merciful on me, a sinner. Sanctification is the living out of that new beginning. Sanctification is what we do after we recognize the new beginning is here. And that's what the Pharisee missed. The Pharisee figures he's already done it, right? Well, I'm doing all the right things, so I must be better than the people who aren't doing the right things. No. No, your value comes as an image bearer of the divine, period. You can't top that. Tithing, great. Fasting, cool. Do whatever you you need to do to live out that faith. But that doesn't make you more valuable than anybody else, and that's the trap the Pharisee falls into. Because think about it. When this tax collector comes in, having done the things he's done that he regrets, and he's down on his knees saying, Lord, please be merciful to me, a sinner, he didn't get there because of some fancy theological doctrine. It was fancy theological doctrine that led the Pharisee to think that he was better than everybody else because he didn't understand the spirit behind it. It was the nature, I think, of who the tax collector was and what he had done that drove him to his knees and said, God, I be merciful on me, a sinner. The way that he was sneered at by his bosses, the temptations to steal and thieve that came along with his job, the way that he was hated by his fellow Jews for it, that's what led him to humility before God. And again, that doesn't mean that we're all horrible people needing to be driven to our knees. It's again, this idea of being relieved of the burden. Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's the relieving of the burden and saying, you don't have to strive for this. You just have to accept the gift that God freely gives and let that gift do the work that it's going to do. That process of sanctification, that process of living out the new beginning, it's rarely linear. It's rarely, you can put it on a graph and it's just up and to the right, right? There's two steps forward, there's one step back, there's steps to the side, there's spinning around, turning every which way. But it's a process. It's a continual, continual process. So the final bear trap in this passage is to think that this parable is self-sufficient, right? That once you feel justified, once you understand that it isn't your actions, it isn't what you tie, that isn't what you fast, it isn't what you do, it isn't what you don't do that makes you right with God, that's just God's job. Once you understand that, boom, you're good. No. No. That's just the start. That's just the new beginning. And then we get to walk that out. If we look in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And some folks like to stop right there and go, ah, see, it's not just about faith alone. We're not saved just by faith alone, but we got to have the works to justify the faith, to do the whole package. Catholics uh, especially love to lean on that theology of both faith and works being part of salvation. And Protestants love to freak out about Catholics thinking that way. Partially because you got to read the next verse. 
Because the next verse, James is saying, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. It's not faith and works in opposition. Works are simply an outgrowth of the faith. As you allow the Spirit to get inside you, as you allow the Spirit to change the direction of your life, to change how you view other people, to change how you interact, how you do community, how you come together to worship God, works follow naturally from that. I came to faith as an adult. Um, And this idea of God coming along and changing me was not one that I thought had a whole lot of merit. So I thought I had a pretty good idea of how to behave and how to, my posture towards the rest of the world. And I can't even begin to tell you how much my life has changed through faith, through seminary, through preaching, through being a part of this community. Changed in ways I never even imagined would be possible. But my entire posture towards other people has altered as I start to let the Spirit... And don't get me wrong, I've fought the Spirit every bit of the way as the Spirit is trying to change me. Because again, I'm overproud of who I was and where I was going, and I thought I had a pretty good beat on things. So it's not easy, and it's not linear, and it's not always up to the right. But part of the Christian walk is allowing that transformation to happen. I thought going into seminary, my favorite classes were going to be uh, the history classes and the theology classes and the nerdy stuff and learning Greek and all that. You know, that's, that's where I live, right? That, that's that's going to be my focus. Spiritual formation far and away exceeded my expectations. Spiritual formation were the kind of classes that had me look inward, that said, get out of your head and get down on the heart level, Dan. It's just not someplace I, I go willingly. But get down on that heart level and really examine who you are and how you got here and where you are going. And welcome back to the kids. So yes. Yes, this parable is about humbling ourselves before God. But it's not just about maintaining a posture of humility, period. It's about recognizing the need for God to establish that relationship, to make that relationship work. And our recognition that we can't do that on our own, that no amount of trying, no amount of efforting, no amount of acting on our part makes us more valuable than anybody else. Our value lies in our relationship with God and with our ability to say that this story isn't the ending, this story is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of faith. And that faith is one that we have to allow to get inside us, to transform us to renew us, to regenerate us. And it has the power to do that in ways we can't even imagine. So yes, God, please be merciful to all of us for we all miss the mark. Remember, that's the definition of sin, just missing the mark. We all do it. We all miss the mark. So God, please be merciful to us in that missing. And God, please let that mercy change us and begin the process of making us more like you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If If you you find find yourself nearby nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.